Good morning. Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 through 33. Then the men went, set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. When you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth who do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you have been engaging with humanity for a very 
very long time. We thank you that you are still engaging with humanity even today. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would interpret for us these texts and point us towards Jesus one more time. We cannot do it without your help. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is David. I'm one of the elders here. This is what my face looks like. Uh, And I'm honored to be with you all this morning. All of you uh, watching in the room. Uh, As a church, we have been working our way through Genesis, through the story of Abraham. And this morning, we are picking up the story in chapter 18 of Genesis. Abraham just had a drop-in visit from God slash three guys. Uh, They had a covenant meal, and we are picking up the story in verse 16 after that meal. Verse 16, Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. So we get the setup for our story uh, here with two elements. The first is the direction. So the men are heading down towards Sodom. This will come into play later. The second is that Abraham goes with them to set them on their way. We learned last week that Abraham offered hospitality to God. The invitation to these men, this meal, the conversation. Can you imagine? You know, hospitality, intimacy. And then Abraham goes with them to send them on their way. He walks with them to send them on their way. Abraham walking with God. Does that sound familiar for those of you that have been reading Genesis? The writer wants us to think about Adam and Eve walking in the garden with God. They want us to th- he wants us to think about Enoch, who walked with God and then was no more because God took him, and of Noah, who was righteous and blameless among his generations. He also walked with God. Walking with God meant then, and it means today, relationship. It's the faith, trust thing that we talk about so much here. Both of these pieces, the direction the men are going, and Abraham's relationship set the stage for the entire section Particularly this next part, the conversation. Conversation started. Here we go. So verse 17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? God is sharing his thoughts aloud to Abraham, and he shares two things. A plan he's about to execute, and the reason he wants to share this plan with Abraham. So what are God's reasons? Let's keep going. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? 18. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. This harkens back to the blessing from Genesis 12 that God gave to Abraham, the promise that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham's family. The choosing of one family for the purpose of blessing all other families. The choosing of one for the purpose of blessing others. That's the purpose of election we see here. And the reason, verse 19, for I have chosen him. Pause right there. That word chosen is actually the word known in Hebrew, and it it means knowing, and it ranges in meaning. It can range from like a basic uh, understanding or acquaintance with the thing 
all the way to intimate marital relationship level knowledge. Think Adam knew his wife and she conceived kind of knowing. So Abraham, this brings us to our first uh, little fill in here. Abraham was known by the Lord and he knew the Lord. There's, think about the stories of Abraham so far that we've heard. Think about how God engages with Abraham and how Abraham engages with God. There's this invitation I'm going to say that word a lot, by the way, this morning. There's an invitation to continued relationship. This relationship, this invitation to relationship with God is a super important concept in this passage, so hold on to it. So Abraham is known, he's chosen for what specific purpose? Continue on in 19. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of Yahweh, the way of the Lord, by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. So we're going to take a look at righteousness and justice here briefly. Uh, the word, uh, the meaning of the word righteous, it's kind of a complicated word, but it means righteousness. It means acting in accordance with a proper standard, which would be God's standard, doing what is right or being in the right. This is our second super important concept uh, in this text, and it's highlighted throughout. It's actually the most repeated word in these verses. For our purposes this morning, we're going to define a righteous or righteousness the following way. To be righteous means to live in line with the character of God. To be righteous is to live in line with the character of God. Now, justice is the act of expression of being righteous. The definition of the word justice in Hebrew, it means justice. It means judgment, law, regulation, prescription, specification. So you execute justice to maintain righteousness. The biblical ideas of righteousness and justice are paired and they're intertwined throughout the Bible, but the first place in the biblical narrative where they're put together and they're talked about is right here, where God is calling on a per person to explicitly practice them. Righteousness and justice describe the way of the Lord. Righteous is who you are. Justice is how you are. Taken an idea from the Jewish scholar Abraham Heschel, he said, it seems that justice is a mode of action and righteousness is a quality of a person. So if righteous describes the quality of a person, justice would be what they do. Righteous is who you are. Justice is what you do. This concept has to do with how humans relate to each other how they treat each other, and actually how they relate to and treat God. This was how Abraham was supposed to keep the way of the Lord. And did you catch the little conditional statement there at the end of verse 19? By doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. So Abraham doing righteousness and justice is going to gain this covenant promise that God talked about in Genesis 12. So why is God concerned about righteousness and justice? 
God is concerned about righteousness and justice because God is righteous, right? He is the standard of what is right and wrong. Uh, To quote from Wayne Grudem, his systematic theology, it's coming up here. God's righteousness means that God always, he always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right. So whatever conforms to God's moral character is right. I want you to think about for a second all the things, you may have to think kind of hard right now, but all the things that are right in the world. Okay? Think hard. A beautiful sunset. It's right, right? What about the wedding of two of your favorite people that you're like super stoked about? What about a newborn being nursed by her mother? What about when your kids are playing and they're like not fighting and they're like sharing with each other and they're inviting others in? I mean, totally, we get, you know? Think this is righteous. This, all of this conforms to God's moral character. Now think about God for a second. Think about God, how God engages with people. Just think about in Genesis so far. What is God like with people? He is the one who determines right and wrong. He's generous like none other. He's loving. He's long-suffering, and we're only in chapter 18 of the Bible. (laughs) Um, He's perfect. He executes justice, and he's very, very gracious. God is the righteous judge. So what is this plan? What is this plan that he's going to talk to Abram about? Let's look at verse 20. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. We're going to pause there. Outcry and sin. The idea conveyed here is one of like oppression of others, of rebellion against the living God. In the story so far, Abraham and his family have had a few encounters with Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to look at them really briefly, coming up on the screen from Genesis 13. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the Garden of the Lord. In the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. By the way, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Continuing on. Abram settled in the land of Canaan and moved, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Hmm. So did you catch that, by the way? Did you catch what Lot did? He lifted up his eyes. He saw something. He saw the land, it was good, and he chose to dwell near that wicked place. There's the pattern again that we see. Someone seeing something that they want, deciding that it's good for them, and taking it. And usually, it's, there's not a good, it just, it's not good. So these people from Sodom, they were notorious. They were known to God, and they were known to people. 
And by the way, we see that they get destroyed. That's a little bit of foreshadowing. So Abraham also encountered them in chapter 14 in the battle of the kings with all those crazy names. And this story, Abraham rescues Lot and he rescues people from Sodom and Gomorrah. And following the battle, Abraham has a brief little interchange, brief little exchange with the king of Sodom. It's in 14, verse 21. It's coming up. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. Creepy. What's that about? I would rather have the persons than the stuff. I want the bodies. Is this like human trafficking? Is this like slavery? Is this some crazy sexual misconduct? This echoes the story of Lamech, actually, in Genesis 4. Acquiring wives as property, destroying, killing a boy for wounding him, and building a community that's based upon, it's built upon treating others poorly. Can you see the contrast between righteousness and wickedness? Regardless of whatever's happening in Sodom, God is watching. He sees the inclinations of man's heart because he is the righteous judge. So let's read what he's going to do. Verse 21, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Does this sound familiar? God going down to visit what his people are doing? Like in Genesis 11, he went down to the Tower of Babel to see this construction project, to see people making a name for themselves. Or in Genesis 6, when God saw that the increase of the violence on the earth was great. Our God hears the cries of the oppressed, as well as sees the actions of the wicked, and he is not unfair and he is not far off. He comes and he examines. So God has finished his little monologue and he appears to be done. Or is he? So now we're going to move to the divine slash human intervention that takes place. Verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. So the men leave, but Abraham is still standing before Yahweh, before the Lord, and from that place of standing, he makes a request. 23, then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? I mean, suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be that from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked? Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? So Abraham is doing two things. He's questioning God's decision, and he's making a request. And it sort of sounds like Abraham is kind of externally processing here. So it's good news for a lot of us in the room. So in one way, it's a fair question. What is more just? Take out an entire city or region because of the degree of wickedness there, or spare the city or the region because of the presence of the righteous. There are assumptions that Abraham is making from the text. He has already saved Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 14, 
And he has familiarity with their ways. He's probably very aware of their wickedness. Also, God thinks, uh, Abraham thinks that God would not be just to destroy the righteous. We also see that Abraham is hoping for, he's believing in the presence of righteous people there, besides Lot. And he's asking, so he's asking to spare the righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, therefore, to spare the wicked as well. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is just? This question is very similar to a lot of the questions that Job asked in his little book. I'm sure that anybody in this room, anybody watching, who's been alive since you've been about five or six has been asking this question, right? God, where are you? God, if you're just, why is this happening to me? Though this might be hard to hear, the answer to the question is yes, God is just. He will do what is just. Some people have a hard time with Abraham's question as it questions the justice of God and it appears that Abraham is challenging God. But let's be reminded of a few things. First, the Hebrew scriptures are fraught with situations in which God's motives and decisions are questions and his actions regularly shock the reader. Also, The Hebrew scriptures provide a very complex, nuanced view of how life in a fallen world seems to work, or seems to be working, at least. And we have a number of stories in Genesis in which God has acted generously with grace to different people. Just think about all the stories of Abraham. (laughs) And also, to his credit, Abraham is still waiting (laughs) for his promise of justice. He's still waiting for his promise his son. So, just by the way, if, if you have questions for God about his justice and his ways, particularly when you feel like he is not being just, you are in good company with Abraham. More than giving us a cook or a math book with all the formulas and answers, it appears to me that the biblical story invites us to the table with God to examine and to talk with him about this stuff. There is invitation here again. God is just. People are not. Abraham knows this. And we're going to see later on in the story, spoiler alert, God is going to execute judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's going to preserve the righteous, his, his people at the same time. So why does Abraham do this? This is kind of gutsy, eh? You know, like, and I think it goes actually back to what God was just saying, the ways of the Lord. Remember we talked about Abraham had this relationship with God. He knew God. God was talking to Abraham about doing righteousness and justice and teaching his family the way of God the righteous way of God that includes justice, and apparently, we're going to see, sometimes it includes executing judgment on the wicked. But at the same time, maybe it includes speaking up on behalf of a people, advocating for or interceding for others, both the righteous and apparently the wicked too, 
it seems like there's an invitation there as well. We're going to just take a brief little moment, very briefly, to talk about biblical intercession. The word is not even used here, but that's what's happening. Uh, it's, it starts here, and it occurs a number of times throughout Genesis. It's developed even more in the books of uh, Exodus and Leviticus, and it just keeps going. You look for it, you're going to find it. It means, uh, it should be coming up on the screen, it means to stand in the place of. Intercession means to stand in the place of, to plead with, to intervene. This is our third super important concept that we get from this passage. So, Abraham, by his request, is interceding for Sodom. What happens? Let's keep reading. The end of 25, he says, Far be that from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what's just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So Abraham requests God to save a wicked city for the sake of 50 righteous people. And God responds by doing exactly what Abraham asks, mirroring what he asks. This is amazing. <laughs> like, no questions or comments from the Lord. He just does exactly what Abraham asks him to do. But we're not finished. Abraham goes further up and further in. In 27, Abraham said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Uh, suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. It's funny. It's like Abraham is recognizing like just what he just did. The type of question he just asked God. He recognizes his status as creature and God's status as creator. And he asks again and again. In the following interactions, in verses 29 through 32, we're going to look at some characteristics. So there's a total, Abraham makes a total of six requests of God. With each request, Abraham whittles down the amount of righteous with each request until he gets to ten. Within these six requests, there's four comments that Abraham makes about, that reveal his uneasiness and his recognition of how crazy this is. We also see that the word destroy is found four times. We see that God responds with exactly what Abraham asks him to do. Mirroring his question, no questions asked, no critique offered. Imagine, have you, have, has anybody bought a car from a car lot before? Okay. That was an awesome experience, wasn't it, right? Yeah, no. So I want you to imagine yourself, you're at a car dealer and you're watching someone try to buy a car from a car salesman. And each time you try to talk him down, the car, smell, car salesman says, okay. And you're like, what? This never happens. So you keep, asking, you keep asking for less and less and less until this car that started out at 50 grand is now $5,000. It's kind of like God would make the best slash worst car salesman. Isn't that weird? It's so strange. Some call this exploring. Others call it negotiating. Of course, the Bible doesn't really give a ton of commentary on this section, except it says two things about it, the closing of the section and God's response. So let's read the closing. Tail end of 32. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I'll speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. 
He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. Verse 33, and the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. When he had finished speaking to Abraham. Did you catch that? Who's, who's running the conversation? Who's in control of it? Who's waiting on who to talk? Who's lingering? And actually, who's moving and who's becoming stationary? Did you see that in 33? The Lord went his way and Abraham returned to his place. I thought God was the unmovable one. Hmm. I love the fact that Yahweh the Lord doesn't ever criticize or critique Abraham. He didn't fix or correct his theological assumptions or make fun of the fact that he was negotiating. He didn't say something like, now you're one to talk, Abe. (laughs) Righteous and wicked indeed. Remember that little lie with Pharaoh that caused a big problem? Remember Hagar? Ooh. He also didn't say, now Abraham, I'm God. I am omnipotent and all-knowing and I have a sovereign plan. Your asking doesn't really make a difference, but God bless you for trying. And by the way, how dare you suggest that I'm not just. How gracious God is here. This is beautifully written, not as a systematic theology essay, but as a story. A little story about God engaging in conversation with a man a guy who hasn't really always been the most morally upstanding citizen. God likes him, and he speaks highly of him. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, describes this interchange really well. It's coming up on the screen. God's general goodwill appears in this, that he consented to spare the wicked for the sake of the righteous. See what great blessings good people are to any place. His particular favor to Abraham appeared in this, that he did not leave off granting till Abraham left off asking. Such is the power of prayer. Isn't that dope? He, Abraham, he did not leave off granting till Abraham left off asking. I love that. So we're going to see next chapter what happens with Sodom and Gomorrah, but For now, we're left with some thoughts about this passage and an invitation. So Bethany Church, what do we get out of this? I love this story. I love this story because of the characteristics of God that are displayed here. God is pleased with, he's connected to those in relationship with them. That invitation to relationship we talked about. He wants to share with those in a relationship with him. Psalm 25, 14 says, the Lord confides in those who fear him. Relationship, right? <laughs> this righteousness that characterizes both God and those in relationship with him, this, this righteousness, this living in relationship with God, living in line with who God is. Trusting God, which is faith. That's like what we like to call it here. We see that God is the judge of all the earth. That's good news. He executes judgment on the wicked. But apparently, he's open to changing his planned course of action. 
and we see that God is committed to sparing the righteous. So what if your relationship with God, with Jesus, looked like Abraham's? Think about that. What if your relationship with God, your relationship with Christ, looked like Abraham's? You may be here today or watching today, and you might be thinking, dude, I'm not even in the same category as Abraham. In fact, I might have been hanging out in Sodom. And by the way, if you've seen the news, who's righteous out there anyway? But there's invitation here. There's invitation here. Do you see it? There's invitation to Jesus in this passage, to trust in Jesus. Jesus is righteous, and he's an intercessor. He was actually in the story. Did you see him? Back in 17, shall I not hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in Abraham? Shall I hide from Abraham about what I'm about to do? Walking with him down the road towards Sodom. Jesus, when he was arguing with some Pharisees in John 5, talked about his relationship with the Father. He said in 5, verses 19 through 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Talk about relationship, partnership. Jesus walked with the Father in all righteousness, trusting the Father in faith. Jesus, the righteous one, more righteous than Abraham. Jesus displayed and he, also, he, he taught about this. He taught about the righteous values of the kingdom. Remember Jesus' opening words on the Sermon on the Mount. He sat down and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, and so on and so forth. The values that Jesus taught are truly righteous values. This is what relationship with the Father is like in the kingdom of God now, right now. Righteousness equals faith. He went on to say in verse 22 of the same chapter, For the Father judges no one, but is given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. The choosing of one person to bless the many. This is biblical election at its pinnacle, friends. <laughs> Could it have been Jesus walking with Abraham, that third guy, <laughs> about to judge Sodom? Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? and about to show Abraham a picture of what I will do on Abraham's behalf thousands of years in the future. I mean, Jesus 
in that same conversation with the Pharisees at the end of John 5 and verse 46, he says, For if you believed Moses, the one who wrote about Abraham, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. You see him in there? Jesus, he's in there. We are not righteous. God is just, but Jesus is righteous. And God, who did not spare his own righteous son, Jesus, how will he not graciously also give you all things? Jesus is the ultimate righteous one. He's also the ultimate endgame intercessor. I'm going to read from Isaiah 53. Listen for the words we've been talking about. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. How much did Jesus think about this when he was walking around? I'm pretty sure he was thinking about it on the cross, where in Luke 23, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Intercession. Righteous intercession. We see that he intercedes for the wicked. He intercedes, Jesus intercedes for his enemies, great sinners. In Romans 5, verse 6, while we were still weak at the right time, Jesus Christ died for the perfect. No, for the ungodly. <laughs> for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one will dare to, if, even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of him, Christ died for us. Jesus took our place. He interceded. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He's alive, and because he's alive, he's still interceding, beloved. <laughs> Romans 8.34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Present tense. Hebrews 7.25 Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lives now to make intercession for you. This is great news. <laughs> anytime that we sin, anytime that we fail, anytime that we falter, anytime that we don't even care that we do it, anytime that we rebel, how does Jesus see you? His posture towards you is, hey, David, I've forgiven you for that. I paid for it on the cross. Remember? And at the same time, his posture towards the Father is, Father, yes, David sinned again, but I died for it. I took his place, and he gets my righteousness. Remember? 
Trusting Jesus equals righteousness. Trusting Jesus, you get righteousness. For those of you here that call yourselves followers of Jesus, and for those of you here that are watching that don't, and, or maybe you don't know, or you're confused about this whole thing, guess what? This message is for you. <laughs> this is an invitation. An invitation to an allegiance, a faith, an intimate relationship with our living, interceding King Jesus Christ. Is this not good news? Do you see the invitation? So, in light of that invitation, how does this change how you look at yourself? How does this change how you look at each other? How does this change how you look at the world? And there's an invitation there too. In love, Christ has interceded for you when you didn't deserve it. <laughs> when, you were, when you and I were God's enemies. As followers of Jesus, now we we get to stand in the gap. We get to intervene. We get to plead on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for each other. We pray for our brothers and sisters, right? We love doing this. And Bethany, this is an area of strength for you, for us. Keep going. Keep growing. Keep doing it. Further up and further in. Keep doing it. But we also get an opportunity to stand in the gap, to plead for, to intervene for our enemies. The wicked. The ones that you and I have a problem with. Do you have enemies? We all do, though we certainly wouldn't like to use that strong of a word. <laughs> Enemy, wicked. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Perhaps it's a family member. Or what about elected government officials that you disagree with? Or those that voted for those government officials? As the world seems to be ripping apart and our hearts are breaking, I know we yearn for home, right? Amen? We say, King of heaven, come. We say, Maranatha. And that is reasonable and commanded of us. But you, O oh follower of Jesus, while we wait, you have been chosen to be a blessing, to stand in the gap, to speak up for those who will be on the receiving end of judgment in the end. And to bear witness to what Jesus has done for you. You are not the Savior, but you know the Savior intimately, right? Do you? Do you know what Jesus has done for you? Does it just pour out of your guts? Because like the woman at the well, come meet a man who just told me everything I ever did. Could this be the guy? Remember that part in that Henry quote? See what great blessings good people are to any place. Who is Jesus inviting you to intercede for? Who is Jesus 
asking you to stand in the gap for. God didn't give up granting till Abraham gave up asking. And Jesus is still asking. He is continually interceding for you. So what about you? Are you going to ask? Who in your life needs a Messiah? Who in your life needs Jesus? And will you be willing to plead to the Father for that person? To share about what Jesus has done for you to that person? A few things to think about today. Bethany, there's invitation here. There's always invitation here. Let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, what are we going to do with you? What are we going to do with you? I know what you're going to do with us, but what are you going to do with, what, what, like, what are we going to do with you? And so I ask, Spirit of Jesus, would you do what you said you were going to do? Would you remind us of who Jesus is afresh? Would you convict us? Would you comfort us? Would you place firmly the, the truth and the reality that, yeah, I, I died for that. I paid for that, remember? It's done. It's completed. Follow me. So I pray, I pray that you would place that call on hearts this morning, on my heart as well. We feel like we desperately need you in this season and in this place. And that is true. But I'm also quite convinced that the world needs you and the way that you chose to give yourself to the world was through us and through our lips. And so I ask that you would place a call on hearts. And not just to make neighbors and coworkers like a project, but like to, would you give them love? Would you give us eyes to see how you see Jesus? Would you be willing to partner with us as we go about our lives? Going to work, parenting our kids, being with grandkids, waiting at the stoplight, would you be willing to partner with us? Would you change us? We thank you, Jesus, that your grace is sufficient. That's all I got. In Jesus' name, amen.